This morning, I want to talk to you about being a follower of Jesus. We're going to talk about some would-be followers. Did you know that Jesus never asked anyone to be a Christian? Did you know that Jesus never walked by and said, Hey, do you want to be a Christian? Christian was a term that was given to believers by the world. And I want you to understand, it's not a bad thing to be called a Christian. No, we identify with Christ that way. I just want you to know that in the world that we live in today, there are a lot, a lot of people who claim to be Christian, and yet they are not followers of Jesus. They're not disciples of Jesus. And so I just want you to see very clearly that in our day and time, you see, the, the gospel has been cheapened to the point that, well, sometimes TV preachers sounds like infomercials. If you'll just pray this simple prayer, you will have the life that you've always wanted. I mean, things are going to turn your way. Everything's going to begin to fall into place. You're going to have joy and peace and prosperity, and it's all going to be good. All these blessings are yours just for this one simple prayer. Does that sound about right? I might be exaggerating just a little bit, but I'm not too far off. I'm just telling you, but did you know Jesus never said things like that? In fact, when you read the Gospels, if people really read the Gospels and the things that Jesus said, I will tell you, there's a lot of people that wouldn't want to be a Christian. They just flat out walk away from Jesus if they actually read the things that Jesus said and taught. You see, Jesus said things like Luke 9, 23 and 24. He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There's where the real life is. That's where the abundant life is, is when you are willing to lay down your life. This is what Jesus talked about. This is the way he taught, and it is not at all what is being preached today about Christianity. And I just think we need to come back to the teachings of Jesus and the call of Jesus. You know, denying yourself and putting aside your selfish wants and desires and plans. See, a lot of people have adapted the gospel to just be in another way to get what you want out of life. That's not what it is. No, we deny ourselves. We take up our cross. The cross is the purpose of God in your life. What God wants you to do. And then we're ready to follow Him. He says, and follow me. And there is the call of Jesus. There is what Jesus says. Not, hey, you want to be a Christian? No, it's follow me. Follow me. Well, that's kind of a strange term to use in our day because, you know, when you follow someone, it's a click. Right? It's a click on your phone or on your computer. Hey, I'm following Deion Sanders on, my, on Facebook now. Click. I want you to know that's not what Jesus is talking about. But that's about the extent of some people's Christianity. I like Jesus, click. I think Jesus is cool. I'm a follower of Jesus. 
That's not at all what he was talking about. When Jesus says, follow me, he's not asking you to go for a walk in the park with him. He's asking you to follow his way of life, that you imitate him, that you want to become like him. That's what it means to be a disciple, is that you're learning his way of life in order to become like him more and more every day. Let me tell you, the sincere Christian, they're not just trying to make heaven. They're trying to be more like Jesus. Every day that we're learning and growing because we want to be like the Savior. That's what it means to follow him. Jesus expects, and I'm going to say it this way, he demands... He demands total commitment. Absolute commitment. I know there's a lot of believers today, they have this attitude like, well, you could be a Christian and just not be a disciple. And that's exactly why they're still bound, why they still follow the desires of their old sinful nature, and they still have destruction in their life. Jesus says in John 8, 31 and 32, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's just back up and hear this a little bit, you know, just, just to digest this a little bit. You know, the world even likes this verse 32. You know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They especially like the last part. Let's forget about the truth. Or, or knowing the truth, but it's the truth will make you free. And they use it like, well, if you just tell the truth, you know, the truth will make you free. That's not at all what it's talking about. It's talking about God's Word. And notice this, he says, if you continue, if you abide, if you stay in my Word, then you, then you will know the truth. Wait, wait, I missed something there, didn't I? You really are my disciples. If you stay in my word, you really are my disciples. There's a progression here. You stay in the word, you really are a disciple. Not a pretend disciple, a real disciple. See, there's a lot of pretend disciples. Real disciples, they stay in the word. This book... We need to stay in the Word of God. We become real disciples, and then something happens. You know the truth, and the truth makes you free. Oh, it's so much better when we go Jesus' way. You know, we have this uh, consumer mentality in America, and it, it, it just is about everything, but it's, you know, it's a way people approach church, but it's even a way, the way that people approach Christianity and, and they approach religion. You know, it's kind of like this, you know, which, which uh, faith do you like? Well, I, I like Christianity, you know, that's, that's my choice. And, and then it's, well, which brand of Christianity? You know, there's a there's hundred different brands out there. Which, which one do you like? Well, well, I like this one. I like that kind of church. You know, I want some contemporary worship. And, you know, I want a pastor that's funny. I like that. Well, you're in the wrong place. Anyway, what kind, of, what kind of doctrine do you want? You know, I like this doctrine, but I don't like that. And everything becomes cafeteria style, even when it comes to the teachings of Scripture. 
I like these verses. What about those verses? I don't understand that. I don't think that's right. That's not for us today, praise God, you know. And they start picking and choosing which teachings they like. And I'm going to say it again. They don't even like a lot of the teachings of Jesus, and yet they claim to love him. Oh, my goodness. we got to get rid of that cafeteria-style Christianity. We're in this all-in that we love him and we want to live the way he wants us to. We want to serve him with the whole heart. As I'll tell you, this is much more than a religion. It is Jesus truly being the Lord of your life. It is loving him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. You know, in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people plus men, plus women and children. And, um, you know, Jesus then leaves and goes to the other side of the lake. And the people, they follow after him because, you know, they're hoping that he'll feed them again. And in John 6, 26, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. And I want to tell you, there's a whole lot of people that want to follow Jesus just because of what they might be able to get out of it, you know? I mean, these preachers, you know, they're telling us, we, you know, everything's going to be great. It's free meal, Right? And all he offered them was himself. In fact, he said weird things to them like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they went away. Now, here's what I want to say to you. You see, when it's all said and done, this is what Jesus offers us himself. Is that enough? Oh, it's way more than enough. And I just want to say as a church, this is what we have to offer the world. Jesus. Y'all real quiet. This is what happened in John 6, 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. I want to tell you, you see, they weren't true disciples. And neither are people today. When they have to have the trappings of religion and all these other things, what about when it's just you and Jesus? Will you follow him? We're going to look at three would-be followers in the Scripture it's from Luke chapter 9, and first we're just going to read through verses 57 through 62, and then we'll come back and work through them. But it says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. 
but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I want you to know this is one of those passages that a lot of people just look at what Jesus said and they say, that's harsh. That's not fair. That's not right. I mean, a lot of people just want to judge Jesus here and say, you know what? That's not somebody I could really follow. How could he say such things? Well, we're going to work our way through here and try to understand a little better, but I just want you to know that Jesus loves you And he loved these men, these would-be followers who ended up not following him. I want you to know he loved them. And he told them the truth. They're going along the road and this guy says, I will follow you wherever you go. Oh, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. He said the right thing, didn't he? I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says to him, The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus looks into the heart of this man. See, it's one thing when people say something, but Jesus knows their heart. You can read that many times in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus knew what they were thinking in in their hearts. He knew their hearts, and I want you to know, He knew the heart of this man. This man who says, oh, I'll follow you anywhere. But Jesus knew that what he was really looking for was an easier life. He was wanting to just make his life a little better. He thought, you know, this, this guy this guy is the son of God. This guy is working all these miracles. I want to hook up with him. This is going to be awesome. But Jesus tells us that rather... We have to count the cost. There's a cost to following Jesus. And Jesus knew that this man was just in it for what he could get out of it. He wasn't ready to count the cost. It's Luke 14, 28. Jesus says that to be a disciple, you got to be willing to count the cost because there is going to be a cost. See, a lot of people think it should be easy to follow Jesus. But following Jesus can be hard. By the way, I'd just like to clarify, the way of the transgressor is hard. Pick your hard. Choose your hard. But following Jesus isn't the easy way. It can be hard. He says that that narrow way is difficult. You know what? Jesus could have talked to this man about, you know what, there's going to be streets of gold. There's going to be so many blessings. I mean, we're going to a place where there's no more tears, no more crying. He could have talked to him about all kinds of awesome things, but instead, he lays it on him. The Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. He lets him know right up front that this is not going to be easy. There's a price, there's a cost that comes. In Mark 10, 28 through 30, Peter says to him, we've left all and followed you. And I want you to note here, it's awesome that Jesus doesn't correct Peter. Jesus 
Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. I mean, in this verse, he actually promises us a hundredfold return on what we leave behind, the price, the cost, that we pay. And I say often, but I want to say again this morning, I feel like the most blessed man, the most blessed pastor. I look at my life, I look at this great church, I look at how God has blessed me, and I feel like I have received a hundredfold return. I feel like that the Lord has rewarded me far beyond, don't don't misunderstand me, not what I deserve, oh no, but he has rewarded me far beyond what I have ever sacrificed, whatever cost, a hundredfold return. Now, I say that, I I want you to hear me now. (laughs) There was a cost. See, a lot of times people are envious. I can assure you that uh, there's a whole lot of preachers and some others too that would like to be where I'm at. But they don't want to start where I started. They don't want to pay that cost where I went to a church and I worked for zero. And then they paid me $100 a week if I would clean the church. Want to start ministry like that? Well, no, thank you. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. It reminds me a little bit, too, of the the church I worked at as a pastor and and a board member. I made $500 a week, and the board member told me, he said, that's pretty good pay for 45 minutes of work. I'm just telling you, there's a whole lot of people that, you know, I think they ought to get in ministry. The only problem is, is they're not willing to pay the price and count the cost. But this certainly is not just about vocational ministry. This is about all of us because God has a call on all of our lives. There is a cost. If we truly follow Jesus, there's times when it's hard. There's times when you have to give up something. There's times when you have to lay aside what you want to do what he wants. There's times when you got to give up your own pleasure so that God can use you to minister to somebody else. This church is way too quiet this morning, I'm just saying. But it's amazing how many think that, you know, yeah, it would be easy if I was in ministry. Well, then I would do something. This so few willing to do it, though. But there is a reward. First, there's the leaving. Then there's the receiving. You see, we get to heaven, oh, there's going to be a crown. I want you to know there's a cross that you carry. The cross comes before the crown. This is the way it is. And you see... We need to know this. We need to understand it right up front that if we're going to follow Jesus, there's a cross that you take up every day. And yes, the rewards are amazing. They're awesome. But you've got to carry the cross before the crown. 
There's a price before the reward. You see, we love our homes. We love our phones. We love our cars. We love my fireplace, just saying. We love our recliners, our flat screen TVs. We love our comfortable beds. We love it all. And I just want to say I'm grateful for all that God has blessed me with. But I hope and pray that my stuff never gets in the way of my following Jesus and that my commitment is deep enough that still, that if Jesus were to ask me, I would give it up in a flash to serve Him and to follow Him to do what He wants me to do. Jesus says, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10, 38. He said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus says, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. You know what? This guy seems like such a reasonable request. Shouldn't he be given permission to go and bury his father? I mean, shouldn't he be with his grieving relatives? Shouldn't he be able to take care of his family responsibilities? Doesn't it, it just seems so out of line and harsh for Jesus to say, let the dead bury the dead. But we just need to look at this passage a little closer and consider what's going on here. You see, in this day and time, in this culture, and we have to just kind of make a little bit of a mind adjustment here because it's not the way we think and the way our culture is. In this culture, when somebody died, they were buried immediately. Just like when Jesus died on the cross, he was taken down and put into a tomb that day. That was the culture. That was the way it was done. If this man's father had passed, he would have already been put in the tomb. In fact, it's unlikely that his father was even sick. If his father would have been sick, he probably would have been at his side with the relatives. And in essence, what's really going on here is this man is saying he wants to stay with his family and with his father until one day his father passes. You know, he'll get an inheritance. I mean, I've got responsibilities. This is not a convenient time right now. One day, you know, when my father passes, then, you know, I'll be ready. And there's a whole lot of people that want to serve Jesus someday at a more convenient time. I mean, you know, after I've enjoyed my youth, and sow my wild oats and someday I might serve God. You know, when the kids get grown and get out of the house, praise God, we're going to do something for the Lord. Oh, you know, one of these days when I retire, just think how much time I'm going to have to just serve the Lord every day and really live for God and, and do what God wants me to do. That day never comes as long as that attitude is there. This man should have said, I'm ready to go, Lord. But instead, he says, first, 
first. That's such a key word, first. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. That sounds reasonable. Jesus says, no man, after putting his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. In our culture, you know, we love all kinds of things. We love Jesus. We love our family. We love our sports. We love pizza. We love our dog. We love our hobbies. We love our lifestyle. We love all kinds of things. Here's the thing. What do you love first? Luke 14, 25 through 27, Jesus says, or the scripture says, great multitudes went with him, and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Well, that'll thin the crowd. I mean, he's got this great multitude. It's just like in John chapter 6. All these thousands of people are following him. And then Jesus turns to him and he says something like this and everybody just walks away. They're like, we didn't sign up for this. You talk about thinning the crowd. And I preach a message like this and I'm, I'm going to thin the crowd. I'm in good company. We'll see who shows up next Sunday. But here's what Jesus was telling this man is that he had to truly be first. First. I want you to understand, Jesus is not talking about hating anyone. He teaches us to love everyone. He's using hyperbole so that we understand that in comparison with our love for him, we hate everyone else, everything else. It can't even be close. We love him first. That's the way that it has to be first. Not second after our loved ones, our job, our wants and desires, <laughs> our politics. First. And then Jesus said this, he, says, he said it this way, no man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. And you see, this, is becomes, this becomes a real issue for people when they don't truly love Jesus first. They're always looking back at what could have been. They're always wishing that they could still do this and still do that. They're still hanging on to the things of the past, things that they should have walked away from. And I know it sounds so harsh, but to truly follow Jesus, you have to truly love Him first. I read about a young Buddhist man 
who said that Jesus was impatient, intolerant, and a rude person who disregarded traditional family obligations. You see, this was his view of Jesus because of passages of Scripture like this. And there's been a lot of critics of Christianity down through the centuries. People have accused Jesus of being abrasive and insensitive and unbearable and egotistical and all this stuff about you got to love him first and him, you know, it's all about him. Yes! He is almighty God. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the one that died on the cross and paid the price for our ugly sin so that we could be with him for all eternity. And he has every right to demand our absolute love and allegiance. He deserves nothing less. Oh, it is amazing how we can get so deceived by this religious culture of the day. He says that he's supposed to be first. Oh, that's just fine with me. First. We talked about a man that was looking for an easy life. You got to count the cost. We talked about a man that said, I got more important responsibilities. It's not convenient right now. And the third, he just loved something else first. It takes a total commitment. you got to be all in. And I'll just say, anybody that wants to play it safe, Jesus isn't really the one that you want. If you want to keep your religion in perspective, Jesus isn't for you. Religion says... Well, this is good. Make, you know, make Christ a part of your life. This is why our politicians all are people of faith. It's good. It's good for you to have a little religion in your life. We all appreciate that. But that's not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't say make Christ part of your life. It says Christ who is your life. It's all. Now, there's one more that I want to talk about this morning. I want us to consider. He wasn't a would-be follower, but he would be a follower to the very end. He was flawed. He made mistakes. He struggled, but he would follow Jesus to the very end. I'm talking about Simon Peter. In John chapter 21, after the resurrection, Jesus comes to the shore and the disciples are out in the boat fishing again. And Jesus calls them in to come have breakfast with him. And they gather around, they're going to eat some fish. Now, I'm giving you the short version of the story, but Jesus looks at Simon Peter and he says, Do you love me more than these? 
And the Greek word there, it is obvious. He's not talking about the other disciples. He's talking about these fish. Do you love me more than these? Why is he asking him this? Because Jesus has called him to be a fisher of men, and he's out doing the same old thing he used to do, fishing. I don't know why. I don't know if he just liked it that much. I don't know if he was tired. I don't know if he was just hungry. I don't know what's going on here except the fact that he was not doing what Jesus had called him to do. He was on the verge of being a would-be follower. And we can all identify with him because we all struggle at times. We all kind of get headed the wrong direction at some point. We all make some wrong choices. But Jesus asked him, do you love me more than these? Peter says, you know that I love you. It's the third time it says that Peter was hurt. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And you know what? I actually believe that Peter did love him. But Jesus is asking for a deeper love, something more. And each time he tells him, feed my sheep. It's, it's not enough for us to just profess our love. It's our obedience. It's that it shows in our life that we're willing to answer the call, that we're willing to do what God wants us to do. Now, I want to read a portion of this, the rest of the story. John 21, beginning from verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. That doesn't sound easy. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. There's those words again. Simple. Follow me. Imitate him. Be like him. Choose to follow him. Peter. We can identify. Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one that betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? <laughs> I want you to know this is where a lot of people really struggle with following Jesus. They look at other people and they say, well, look at them. What about them? I mean, look at Pastor Mark. Look how blessed he is, how easy he's got it. I get that. We always want to compare. We always want to find somebody else. We say, it's not fair, Lord. It's not fair. And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Here's the thing. Peter did. 
He followed him to the very end. He lived his life for Jesus. And eventually, it was just as Jesus said that he was taken and bound. And he glorified God in his life and in his death. I want to encourage you this morning. Make up your mind that you're going to follow Jesus with all your heart. That you will not allow yourself to have any excuses. You won't make any room for some distraction in your life. Or I just got to do this or just, just that. Or you know, you know, I got this, I got that. It's time for real believers to make up their mind that Jesus really is first in my life. That's it. You're going to be a would-be follower? Or will you truly follow? Stand with me. We're going to pray. I want our prayer partners to come.